In this episode of the podcast, I speak with four members of the Gator Motorsports Formula team, a student organization in the Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering Department at the University of Florida. The members, Marla Eisman, Vijay Rathor, Isabella Lancy, and Kyle Mayotte, discuss their involvement with the GMS team, the design and fabrication of the competition race car, the move from an internal combustion engine to an all-electric drive, and the role of the organization in their lives as they make the transition from inexperienced to rather seasoned young engineers. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Dickerel, and now, a conversation with Gator Motorsports. What do you guys actually call yourself? Like, what's the official title of the team? It'd be Gator Motorsports, yeah. Is it Gator Motorsports? Because I've, I've heard it referred to informally as like the formula team. Yeah, that in Society of Automotive Engineers is just way too long to say. So okay. usually we'll shorten it all the way down to GMS. GMS. So GMS Gator Motorsports, but then like there are, there are other names. How long have you guys been involved individually? I've been around since fall 2020. Me as well. Yeah, fall 2021. So yeah, beginning of last year. I think all four of us are the same, that we all joined our freshman fall. I'm only a sophomore, so I've been here for physically as long as I can. Yeah. What drew you to joining the Gator Motorsports team as an individual student? For me, I had a personal project at home, was trying to build a go-kart, but I knew nothing about how to put stuff together. So I was trying to figure out how to make a non-solid drive shaft for the back. So I kind of joined the team to steal some secrets, but I ended up on an electrical system instead of a mechanical system. So I ended up not really fulfilling that goal. <laughs> yeah, I got kind of scammed there. It was, it was an interesting an interesting journey for you. How about you guys? Uh, well, self-proclaimed car guy. So I saw something with four wheels and a steering wheel. Um, and I was like, that, that's probably the place for me to be. I made sure get myself in there because I was like, this is very interesting. Did you just run across it or did you know, did you know the team existed? Um, so I knew the team existed. I'd seen it on Instagram and um, my sister is also an, is an alum. So when I would come visit her on campus when I was in high school and middle school, um, I, I would pass by the shop every now and then because she lived in North, uh, North Hall. So um, I saw it way early on and I was like, if I do end up at UF, I will probably be looking to join how about you two? Well, I lived in Hume Hall as a freshman, which is right down the street. So every day when walking to classes, I'd walk past the shop. So I'd see it with the door open and be like, that looks pretty awesome. Yep, that'll so do I it. walked in one day and never left. <laughs> yeah, the garage is good marketing. Like, it was like high school tours and stuff. I would always like peer in. I've always liked cars and just wanted to work on them more. And so I walked in and they never let me leave. <laughs> <laughs> so would you all be self-professed car people? No. Yeah, no. A lot of people are just interested in engineering, mm -hmm. but then we also do have a lot of car people. Yeah. What is the goal of the team every year? So typically we say, you know, we build a car, we go to Michigan and all that, and that's like just the surface level stuff we do. But really we're an organization that cares about like building better engineers, building better business majors and all that, or building better marketers. Like anyone who wants to come into the team doesn't really need a specific major. We definitely tailor best to engineers, but it's our main goal to bring someone in teach them like the finite details of their major that they don't necessarily learn in the class, like the actual practical applications of what they're doing, and then put them back out into the industry setting where they can actually like excel at what they're doing. And then the way we do that is through the car and through the competition. Yeah. Now, how would you describe that, that car? A small scale formula style car. Um, 
And then we take it to Michigan to compete in different events such as endurance, acceleration, autocross, skid pad, and then also static events like design. The organization builds an open wheel race car. Now, do you do it from scratch or how much is kind of reused from year to year? I mean, I think that really depends on the goal of the year. Um, like, obviously, moving into this year, we're starting electric. Very little can be reused. Um, some stuff in the vehicle dynamics world, which is what I do, can be carried over because that's sort of independent of how the car is operating, like power wise. But each year we build a little more on. A lot of the design is maintained um, year after year. I mean, except for this year when we're switching the powertrain, obviously. Um, but then the, the components need to be remade, like the chassis and some of the suspension elements just for fatigue and to prevent breaking year after year. Okay, so you, you've alluded to it, and I'm a little aware, but this year represents a big change for the organization because you're moving from internal combustion engine to, is it purely electric or some type of hybrid? Purely electric. Okay. So it used to be, was it like a motorcycle engine was the, was the power plant? Yeah, Honda CBR. Okay, how, how big was that? old internal combustion engine. 600 cc's. 600 cc, and was that standard for the all, all teams? Uh, no, so that was like our team's philosophy. Other teams have different philosophies. Um, we, we had a heavier car, but with more power, and some teams go for a lighter car, less power, so they'll have like a one cylinder or a two cylinder. Um, the only thing that competition says is you have a max displacement of 749 cc's, if I remember correctly. But beyond that, it's up to the team to decide what power plant they oh, Yeah, So there was an upper limit, but there was a lot of, it wasn't like there was one stock engine that everyone had, okay. And now you're moving to all electric. How many teams are there in the competition? At least for this year, there's 75 signed up, but I know that there's a huge wait list too. I think there's about 20 to 25 teams that are also trying to get in the wait list. And that's just for the, the Michigan competition. There's other competitions in Europe too, and I think also in India. Usually it's close to 100. Yeah. All right, so there, there are, you know, order of magnitude 100 cars. How many of those do you know that do, like, all electric? Well, so we're, we're specifically talking about the electric section of the competition. So you're moving into the electric category then? Right. And the internal combustion field is, you know, the traditional field. So that, that field is much larger. Um, last year we competed against around 110 teams, if I remember correctly. Um, but this year our competition is about 74 other cars. How do you guys feel about that? Are you scared, optimistic, confident, all of the above? Well, EV has been going on for about four years now in terms of FC, so we're a little behind the curve. So it's a little scary, but all it takes is a little bit of engineering, a little bit of work, and then we'll be like almost on par because we're pretty well known for being the underdogs. Like a big example is Michigan. They got the massive budget. They bring a nice car to comp every time and we almost go toe to toe with them. But that was back on the IC side. I'm sure we can keep that up for the EV. Now, when you say massive budget, what are we talking about a massive budget? At least eight times our budget. Yeah, that's that's a big budget. I mean, yeah, especially if you're competing against someone with um, many multiple times resources, if you can still compete. So that's, you know, the credit to you guys. Who's the, who's like the biggest, scariest team out there that you know of? It changes. Um, I, I would say a lot of the European teams are very strong, um, especially, what was it, um, the German teams. A lot mm -hmm. of them very strong teams. Um, yeah, those are those are two like household names that, if you're in Formula SAE, those are people you probably those are teams you've heard of. Yeah, last year Illinois Urbana did really well. Purdue did well. When you talk about the European teams, um, how tightly are they integrated with 
car manufacturers in Germany. Are they or? Very. Yep. Okay. Very. And you are not, correct? You're, you're basically, uh, you're doing your own thing. There are some industry sponsorships, but you're not, you don't have a very tight integration. Right. We used to have a small partnership or like sponsorship with Ford a couple of years ago, but I think we lost that in the last three or four years. The closest we get to that is like alumni connections because um, we have 30 years of alumni and a lot of them are at big automotive companies and they'll reach out and, and help with design reviews and things like that. That's cool. So you said the transition to electrics been going on for about four years. Are you there? Is it is it are you fully transitioned or is this, there's still yeah there's no happening. there's no going back but I mean in terms of do you feel that there's no more new transition that needs to happen you have the car and then everything from here on is going to be like small tweaks you could say it's small tweaks there's a lot of changes in infrastructure we could do like for instance we don't have a, a full monocoque which is just like full carbon fiber chassis we have half space frame which is a collection of tubes welded together into a box. And the other like three quarters is just carbon fiber tub. So that's a huge change we could we could add to the car. The other huge change we're thinking about in the future is switching from just a single motor in the back to in-hub motors at each corner of the car. And that's a huge change even for a EV car. What has changed from the internal combustion car to the current electrical car? And maybe like each of you think about that and give an answer and if anyone's ready to go. Yeah, so um one of the big things, obviously, is we lost that internal combustion engine, which we're losing a lot of supplementary systems to that. So that would be like um, the oiling system, um, fueling, intake, exhaust. We're losing all of those. Um, but we're still able to maintain like the cooling system because we need to, we need to obviously cool our, either our batteries and or the motor itself. Um, and then uh, drivetrain is still still there we still have a differential and a chain drive as of right now um so those those things we've lost a few things but we've also gained a few more in terms of the accumulator and um the large expanse um into the electrical a really big challenge too is that um with the batteries they start to decay immediately um they'll last around 250 cycles max three years ish um, and that's so different from the engine because the engine you could turn on, run a couple times, keep testing it. But with the batteries, you have to be really conscious about how many times we're testing the car, which, you know, limits the data that we can collect before competition. Um, in terms of like the stuff I do on the car, which is vehicle dynamics, like I said earlier, but um, we're sort of going in a little blind to this coming year because the basis of all vehicle dynamics and suspension is your weight distribution on the car, like where it is when you're not moving and then where it moves and how fast it moves once you are moving. And I need to have the suspension system designed before powertrain can package, but I need to know where powertrain is located before I can design suspension. So that was a very interesting challenge of going in and not knowing if my final design was going to reflect the type of car we are going to build, um, which makes this first year very interesting, but next year we'll have a better idea of what that will look like. Yeah, the first two months of our summer season, it's usually when we do the core of our design and then we kind of flush it out during fall. The first two months were really hectic, especially for suspension here, because we were going back and forth. Should we reuse the IC setup of where suspension points are and move the accumulator and the new powertrain around or should we completely redesign everything and then kind of guess about like where our, our CG is because we have no physical car to actually like see where is our center of gravity. But another huge change we have is on this new electric side, 
Um, what's kind of been interesting is we've used the engine in the past. We kind of can have fun with it, tune it, and see the kind of like torque values we need because the torque isn't linear. But now with the, the motor, you just give it voltage, give it some current, and it's straight, constant, linear torque. So it's a little interesting. I know some of our, our prior gearheads don't like it too much because there's not a lot of tuning to do, which is fine tuning, but not a lot of sitting there letting the engine roar in our, our dyno we have over at the solar park to really get the, the most power out of the engine. And then with that, we can't reuse the same electrical suite we had last year. So we had our electrical lead completely redesigned like the entire system. So that's another thing we're also kind of running blind with. It's all custom hardware, which is a little terrifying because uh, obviously you buy stuff, you can kind of trust it. But when you make stuff yourself, there's always something that might be missed. And we might spend a couple of hours on track trying to figure out how to fix it. The competition is how far away? Uh, I think it's a... 130 or so days now, but it's... Oh, you're measuring in days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Countdown. <laughs> and how how close to being ready are you? We have... What's really weird right now is we have all of the parts. Basically, we're missing a few here and there, so we could put the car together, but we're waiting on some feedback from FSA to do the really critical um, things for the car, like especially like mounting the battery pack. We can't really move forward with building the rest of the car until the battery pack is actually in the car, and then the other systems will come and build... So we have everything, but we're just being held back by the actual competition. So I would say within the next three, four weeks, we probably expect a built car, but I don't know about a running car just yet. That was going forward. Let's look back a little bit. So last year, the team got third place. Was that a historical high for you, or, or was that just a week in third place all the time? It's, it's actually pretty high. Our, our next highest was second place in 2015. Usually we're a top 20 team. Like We've put our, our placement on a little graph just as an interesting thing to do, and it's usually like a little sine wave. Usually we stay around like 10 to 20th place and every now and then we'll go really high up. So it's definitely really surprising to pull that off. Okay, so last year was a good, was a good yeah, year. That's, that's interesting. So why, why didn't you actually get first place last year? So we made it to design finals, which is huge for a team that's a really large way to get a lot of points. We placed pretty well uh, too there. We got third overall. We tied with Purdue, I believe, in design mm -hmm. finals. So that was great. We did pretty well across the other static events where you like present the car, talk about it. But what really killed us last year is endurance. So we were actually toe-to-toe -to -toe in endurance. Things were going well for the first few laps. And if you aren't familiar with endurance, it's like 22 kilometers. Uh, each lap is about a kilometer. And it's all about how long can your car last and can it even finish. In our case, it did finish, which was good. But it didn't finish at the pace it started with because our car fell apart a little bit near the middle. So first... It fell apart. Yeah, that's, that's the bad part. Did it actually fall apart? No, not completely. Yeah. We, would, we would completely lose the race if it actually fell apart. But like the pieces, some important pieces fell off the car and dangled on the car. And the good part is it dangled. If it was on the track, we'd be done for. But what happened is the first few laps started. Um, for our people who are really good with engines, especially our captain last year, Connor Bowman, he noticed it didn't sound the same. So usually what happens is there'll be 11 laps. The driver comes in and changes. Our first driver was doing fine. Everything went okay. So we were really excited about that because we were having a really solid pace. And then the, our second driver goes out, and after the first lap, or maybe the second lap, our captain notices the engine doesn't sound the same. So the car passes by, he hears it, and he's like, we've lost a cylinder because we have a four-cylinder engine. So it's going around. We hope we're not going to lose another cylinder, but now we're down to three cylinders instead of four, so it's, not, it's definitely not going to be driving the same. So I'm sitting there next to our captain next to the barricade. He's like really clinching down on the little barricade there he just wants this car to finish he's like come on bring her home stuff like that and then afterwards we uh when the car came in we learned not only did the cylinder get lost but midway through those 11 laps we also lost our gear position sensor so the car didn't know how to shift anymore so it was locked in third gear the entire time 
what's crazy is during a lost cylinder and a being locked in third gear, we still had a very similar pace as our, our first driver. So we definitely pulled through, but had we not lost that cylinder and gear position sensor, we definitely probably could have placed higher on the endurance list. And that would kick us up maybe to second, even first. I mean, I guess that's the nature of the nature of a complex system. Like something is, is going to go wrong. Um, that, that's an interesting story for sure. Who, uh, how do you determine like who drives? Kind of like a, a cutthroat competition to see who the who the drivers are, or like how how is that selection process? It's it's kind of based on seniority and experience. Um, we definitely want people to be fast in the car, um, so we have quite a few members that have just joined that are like that have raced go karts throughout their childhood. So those are obviously the best candidates. But we also want to reward the engineers who are also designing and manufacturing things. Um, so. Yeah, it, it comes down to who's the fastest and who's putting in the work and the effort because we want to reward that effort with, you know, seat time. Have have any of you driven the car at all, ever? Yes, uh, this past year I drove in competition for skid pad. Okay. Um, so that was that was fun. Um, I've, I've had more seat time in the car after competition as we, you know, retired um, and getting prepared for the switch to EV. I know Kyle. Kyle has also driven the car. Marla has also driven the car. Um, it's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's like you're driving a jet on the ground. Let me, I guess, let me take a step back because you've been you've been referencing different aspects of the competition. Like, what what are all the sub events? Because you said skid pad, you said endurance. Um, sort of walk me through all of the, the parts of the competition. So they split it between static and dynamic events. Um, your dynamic events, you have endurance like we talked about we have acceleration um, which we placed first in the previous year you have skid pad which is a figure eight um, and autocross which is a a smaller sort of sprint um, and then a couple tests like tilt test um, for ev we're gonna have a water test which is more static and then um, the design competition the um uh, in efficiency you have business presentation and a cost presentation. Mm -hmm. There's like the business side, there's the engineering side, there's the driving side, there's, there's, uh, there's multiple, you know, sections. Yeah. So it's not just drive uh, a left-hand turn circle 20 times right. and see what happens. Exactly. Driving is like the least interesting part of it. <laughs> so much. That sounds very interesting. The, the competition sort of design that you can't get away with having a weak spot. So, like, you can't just be, like, a drag car and go really fast in a straight line because then you don't, won't do well in skid pad, which is sort of like a figure eight. Or you, like, last year we had a very strong team. This year, if we just kept their design and didn't do the work to learn it ourselves, we would not, not survive the design competition. Like, you can't go in with a weakness and expect to do well. You guys are not the highest... Um, spending organization yet you can still hang with the uh, more higher budget teams what is what is the reason for that like how do you how do you pull that off how does the team pull that off a lot of our finances come from sponsorship from either companies who are giving us materials or financial support and also alumni of the team um, for example the carbon fiber that we have for our monocoque is sponsored which is probably one of our largest expenses and so maintaining good relationships with sponsors and um, making sure that the team as a whole reaches out and, and makes it proactive to get um, support, um, it helps us to, to meet those levels. Well, there's no, there's no salary cap like in pro sports. So 
you're competing against teams that theoretically could have an infinite budget, yet you're still doing well. Like, what's the secret sauce, in your opinion, that enables you to compete? Yeah, I think it goes beyond also just sponsorships and financial support. Um, our team, we do a lot of, well, we try to incorporate a lot of knowledge transfer from the seniors down to, you know, juniors, sophomores, freshmen who are on the team. Um, so we have like an extensive OneDrive and OneNote that has so many resources, whether it be from online and from like journals and publications and stuff, but also student written guides and um, like uh, theory and stuff like that so that um, members when they come in and or engineers so that they can learn the background behind the decisions that we made for the car. Um, Cause like, like we were saying the the design aspect of competition is essentially grilling you on why you made the decisions you made um, on the car. Um, so if you don't have that knowledge, you're, you typically aren't also going to place well. Um, so you, there should be always be a rhyme or a reason why you made a choice. Yeah, it's building good engineers. Um, it's not really a kit car. Like you can have all the components, you can have the most expensive motor, but if you don't understand how it works, how to make it more efficient, how to put it together and integrate it with the car, you just have a bunch of parts. How much of that engineering goes into like ringing performance out of it? You know, like are you you know are the teams competing on such a close level? that, you know, small optimization improvements, it, it cannot make the difference? Or is it just sort of like, who has a good day? Like, who, whose car doesn't break that day? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard to say. It's a, it's definitely a large mix because, you know, the weather does a ton to people. Some people don't drive in rain, other people do. A lot of it does come down to the drivers, but we have had cases where we had a bad driver against a good driver, and it was a matter of the car just being slightly better. Uh, how big is the team? How big is your team? About 30 people. Okay. Core. Core, core members are about 30, but we always have people coming in helping out um, in terms of freshman, sophomore. Whether they stay or not, that's up in the air, but most tend to stay. How does that process work in terms of uh, taking on new members and figuring, well, I mean, do they, do they filter themselves or? Yeah, we, we welcome everybody. No experience needed. We don't require a specific, you know, uh, path in terms of are you doing engineering? Are you doing business? Are you doing something like that? It's, it's kind of self-will and passion to learn. Uh, if you're not willing to learn, we're not going to force you to. Um, at the end of the day, this is a, a design team. We volunteer ourselves to build a race car. We're not getting paid or anything. So um, it, it's, a, it's a passion project before, before anything else. Okay, so if I was 18 years old and I showed up tomorrow, uh, what would I be doing? Uh, you may be doing some solid works. We also teach... Um, freshmen who maybe have never seen a SOLIDWORKS or CAD software, um, that's usually the first step is getting you set up in SOLIDWORKS because that's... Draw something. Draw mm -hmm. something, um, model something, even go through the SOLIDWORKS tutorials. That's like the first thing I would say. Um, also just learning more about the team. Uh, we have a multitude of what we call design binders, which for each year we make one. So based on the specific system, that'll have all the information in terms of uh, simulation, uh, real-time data, validation theory, all of that, um, the design analysis, 
in a one binder, we can also have new members read that so that they get a background on the car. Yes, the other thing we have is worksheets that correspond with, the, with each system. So when a new member comes in and they say, well, these three spaces, like systems on the car, interest me, they can fill out the worksheet, go a little bit into each system, see what they like and what they don't, and pick a path that way. As part of our executive board, we have a small recruitment team that their whole um, job is to maintain and grow um, new members and make sure that the new members have what they need to succeed if they want to. What do you guys do for fun? Is this it? Like, is this fun? <laughs> it's fun, but it's also kind of work. Yeah. Consider it the good old nine to five. <laughs> yes. Well, you're also, you're also effectively professional students. So is there a little bit of friction between your academics and I would say your other engineering job, which is to build the formula car? Like how does that, how does that work for you guys individually? Oh, for sure. I'd say there's definitely a lot of friction. Like my, my sophomore year, for example, was the first time I was ever put in leadership and that's probably the worst year I had of my like academics were going down the drains, but at least the car was going up. Okay, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> That, that's good for the team, but how, how is that for you as an individual? It was an interesting time because it was, it was a lot of consequences for learning a lot. So I was learning a lot on the team, but I wasn't really learning a lot in school. And I had to figure out how to balance those two things together because both are important. And I, you could argue definitely school is more important because that's what we're here for. I mean, I would argue yeah, that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's definitely easy to get tunnel vision on this car, but you definitely learn a lot of things from both sides. How, how, do, you, how do you answer that question of the balance between your formula team responsibilities and your other academic responsibilities? We try to have people put academics first and personal lives. Um, you know, we don't want this to consume you and make you drop out. Um, I, I think that it's something you have to learn to balance because a lot of times I'm working 8 a.m. to midnight um, on school plus this. And it's not impossible because I love what I'm doing, um, but it's something that you have to learn how to do. Yeah, so like for me, I, I knew coming in, I did want to dedicate a lot of time, so I made sure I had my time management in order. Um, it did get a little bit carried away at, at one point um, in terms of my dedication to the team versus academically. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's something you do once you learn from it, and then, you know, you learn that balance. Um, I can say, more like that I'm more well-rounded in terms of balancing what I'm doing on the team I'm still doing you know good work for the team I think um, but also still doing my academic work well mm -hmm. like Kyle was like it's my first year in leadership so like Kyle was saying it's definitely a big step between managing things as a system engineer versus managing things as a lead um, for me what was most beneficial was making a schedule that I do go to my classes, do homework, and at 5.30 I stop, eat, and then come in and stay here for as long as I needed to be. Um, and then the other big thing was communication, like talking to your system engineers and your chief, my chief engineer, and um, making sure even when I'm not physically in the shop, stuff is still going on and that everything is flowing how it needs to be in a way that allows me to get my schoolwork done, but also get the system done on time. Yeah, that's a huge thing for this year, because in the past, the, the prior team, people on the team have had the mindset of, you know, if you're in this role, you need to be in the shop for this number of hours. 
But this year we kind of reevaluated that because you could have someone in the, the shop for 60 hours, but what are they doing during those 60 hours? Like, are they sitting there burnt out or are they actually working? So we're trying to kind of push a, a different way of doing things now. It's where you don't need to be in the shop for like 70, 80 hours unless, you know, you're working and you really want to be here for those 60, 80 hours. Like if you come in, say you're going to do something and do it, perfect. But once you are done with your stuff, you don't need to feel the need to sit around here for actually like 20 hours. So that's, you know, where you get your academics back, your personal life back. Yeah, listening listening to you guys talk is very interesting because you sound like professionals. Does that make sense? Just like the way you talk about being successful or doing the things that it requires to be successful. And so I guess the question I would ask is not that you have a job automatically lined up, but uh, you seem very hireable from my my amateur standpoint over here. Uh, how would how do you feel about that statement? I'd have to agree. It's it's. I just think the team finds it easier than than most outside the team to, to get a job. Especially that comes from our our network of alumni. They kind of give us a direct connection to a lot of companies, and also just the experience itself is good for companies that we don't really have that that direct connection with. It almost sounds like you're doing you're doing like an internship on campus for a small organization, you know, because I think the value, at least the way that I profess, the value of internships for students is you get to work at a company and see what the culture and experience is like at that company, and then you can then point to that and say, you know, this is what I did there to other prospective uh, employers. So it sounds like the forming team is sort of the same way, where the hiring engineers come in they already know because there's a how long is 20 30 year history of the 30 31 years now exactly right so there there's definitely this is not a new thing so you come in do your jobs uh you're sort of like a proven entity even though you haven't been uh an intern now do you guys actually do internships outside where where have you interned at i was at tesla last summer um i'll be at spacex this upcoming summer Uh, i'm going to northrop this coming summer um, I'm also going to be at SpaceX this coming summer. Now, SpaceX in Florida or Texas? I'll or? be in the Cape. Okay. And I'll be in LA. Oh, I said out in LA. And then where's your... Uh, Northrop in Melbourne, Florida. Have you brought any of your internship back to the team in terms of skills or um, things you've learned? Because that would be an interesting transfer of knowledge from outside organizations back to the like the home team. It's interesting to see at times. Like it's definitely helpful here and there, but we have uh, sometimes funny cases where somebody will come back from an internship after being off the team for a couple of years, and they're like, "Guys, we need to make this just like Tesla." And obviously, <laughs> we don't we don't have a factory. Like this is not a factory. You're making one car. So they're trying to change the way we design things to like the same way they saw it there, their internship, whether it be a Tesla, SpaceX, wherever they were, and bring it back. And at times, taking a small subset, what they learned is really useful. Other times they're taking it a little bit too far and we just can't afford to do what they learned at the, the internship. Right. It's an interesting dynamic. I think it's unique because um, the way that we operate here is so rare in industry other than like startup um, culture because we do research to design, to manufacturing, to testing, to competing. And that's us doing the whole process. And in a lot of industry positions you're doing one test position over and over and over again. So getting to understand the full process, I think, is a little different than industry, but it prepares us for a lot of different industry once we go out. Wait, so how long until you graduate? Like, how, mu- how much longer do you have? Just about a semester. Uh, so you're almost done. How about you? Um, I'm in my third semester right now, so I have another... You got a while. Yeah, I have a while. Spring 24. 
right, so about a year. Yep. Yeah, fall 24 for me, but then grad school after. Oh, so you're planning on going to grad school? Right now, I am. I mean, yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously things change. Um, I didn't even thought about that, because this seems like very, very easy transition to industry, you know, because you're, you're basically, like I said, you're doing an internship with a very strong alumni pipeline to places that would probably hire you almost instantly. Um, oh, let me ask you then, like, what about grad school interests you? I mean, um, I like learning. And at this point, while I can still learn more, um, the team has taught me a lot. My academics have taught me a lot. But, you know, why would I turn down an extra education? Do you already know what you want to do? Or is this grad school is just an interesting concept generally? For me, it's um, it's more like I, I like hardware a lot and I like understanding the car and, and I've spent three years on it now, um, but I'm, I'm planning on moving into like machine learning and using AI and CS concepts to apply to automotive engineering. Do you have any amusing anecdotes that you have experienced over the year in terms of your time and the formula team, right? So if we're we're sitting around uh, telling stories about work. Like, do you have good work stories? Yeah, we. I mean, we've had our fair share of you know things going wrong in terms of whether we go off track a little bit or maybe a wing falls off. Some you know that that's why we do a lot of testing to make sure that happens here before we go to competition. Um, so I mean, th there's been a fair share of things that have happened. Um, a lot, a lot of times the the car does become a lawnmower. And, you know, we cut the grass a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we have a document titled Big List of Fail. Um, that's yeah. been going on for a good chunk of time now. And any time that something goes wrong, we make sure to document it. So, I mean, at least it won't happen again, hopefully. I think that list goes back to, like, 2009. There we go. Yeah. So every, every year, is, there's just there's a, there's a pretty lengthy list. Yeah, a few years ago, um, so we have carbon fiber control arms, so you bond an aluminum piece to a carbon fiber tube, and just last year, we figured out how to do this, like, very solidly to where you wouldn't have issues with them coming apart, but there's been a few times where I wasn't around for these since I'm only a sophomore now, but where we had the entire wheel just fall off the car during a testing session because it comes apart. Circling back all the way to the beginning, so you have an electric vehicle now. What are your opinions or thoughts on this slow progression from traditionally internal combustion vehicles to, I mean, are we going to have, uh, are we all destined for electric vehicles or are we not? What do you think? I mean, I think any engineer understands that there's trade-offs to everything. Um, there's no right answer ever. Um, I like the smell of gasoline and the sound of an engine <laughs> as much as anyone does. Um, and I think that there's also a lot of performance benefits that you get um, with electric cars that a lot of gearheads, I guess, are, are working to understanding. I mean, when I was at Tesla, like launching a Plaid was, feels like you're in a spaceship and you're taking off. And um, I think that there's, there's a lot to consider, but um, with the range of materials available right now, I think it's electric cars are cool. And I think that um, a lot of people will find that out once the infrastructure is in place, um, once you can go on a road trip down the coast and, and be able to charge and, and have quick charging. It's, it's a process. I don't think it'll ever be 100% though. The battery technology is what really seems to be limiting us right now. 
because you know the infrastructure of how to use those batteries is there and it seems to be pretty pretty good but the battery itself from what i know is like really the the driving force that's pulling back the the whole ev uh, push that's been happening in the recent years uh, cool so when when do you start like when do you start testing right if someone on campus wanted to just sort of watch the sausage being made um what, what's the timeline for that well, we're hoping as soon as the Valentine's Day hits, like sometime after that, we can start testing. Because as Nimi has pointed out, we our car number is two, uh, 214, and we're pretty close to having it done, so we'd like to have it done by 214. And what I mean by that is it to be drivable. So sometime before the end of February, we'd like to actually test the car. Okay, and then when's the competition? It starts June 13th. All right, so middle of June. Okay, so you'll have a few months of testing. Where do you test? It kind of varies. So on usually on weekends, um, we can't really go out to a typical spot. It's called the Firm, the Motorsport Park. It's about 40 minutes north of here. That's like a realistic track that we use to kind of simulate what we see at competition. We usually do that on Thursdays, but weekends we talk to TAPS and we go to a lot of the park and ride lots around here. I would say here, here's, here's how I would like to end um, with sort of each of you one by one. I'm glad I joined the Formula team because of this. And then I would say, we'll go, we'll go this way. So like, how do you feel about being involved? Uh, for me, it's definitely like a love-hate relationship <laughs> a lot of the time. So you can, you can put in a lot of work into this thing and you do learn a lot and you hope to see what you learn, like realize, but it's a harsh reality because all that work you've done can actually like fall apart in a matter of seconds. And sometimes it would be a little disheartening, but then you got to pick yourself up and say, all right, what do we learn from this? What do we do? And that's the, probably one of the, the greatest things I like about this team. For me, it's there, I've done a lot, of, a lot of things on this team that I never thought I would ever do coming into college, um, especially a lot with manufacturing and learning how to use the CNC is a big thing. Um, and just how much I've learned about suspension systems and testing and tuning suspension and getting to go to Michigan with a group of 30 of my friends and pre present hours of work to people. I just, that's never something I thought I would do and I'm very happy it is something I am doing. I'm really happy that I've learned all the things that I've learned because I, I came in thinking I knew some things but was quickly, quickly realized, you know, I don't know as much as I, I think I do. Um, so. I've learned quite a bit and I think that's one of the, you know, the best things about the team is the ability to not only do something fun, but also learn while you're doing it. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, I'm really grateful for the team. Like, like Isabella said, these, these people are my friends, you know, I'm, I'm around them basically every day. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a great like camaraderie. Yeah, everything they said, um, and it's it's a really unique community of motivated individuals um, that make something really amazing, and it's uh, it's it's unique to have so much ambition in such a small space um, that it it makes me a better engineer, and I'm grateful for it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please stay tuned for more insightful and interesting conversations with people in engineering, industry, and science.